Father, I, I pray that you would shape us and fashion us into the image of Christ as we read your revelation about your plan to make your people for your possession, for your glory, from your creation, through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen. So turn, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 18. John 1, 1 through 18. I cannot tell you how excited I am about preaching through John. It's, it's been the highlight of my week all week, just thinking about this, especially after looking at Genesis 1 through 11. So we saw God create the world. We saw him breathe life into the first man and fill the world with vibrant, beautiful life. We saw darkness come into the world and death through sin. We saw mankind turn away from God. We saw them at Babel. They were trying to make their own plans in defiance of God. And the last two weeks, the emphasis has been that God has His plan for the world. His plan. And so now we want to look at the book of John. And here's the main point today from John 1, 1 through 18. We can see it even better because of that time that we've spent in Genesis 1 through 11. The main point is this. The plan of God was always Jesus. The plan of God was always Jesus, right from the beginning. Charles Spurgeon said, John is the majestic evangelist. He is the high-soaring eagle with piercing eyes. His is the gospel of the Son of God. We cannot describe the deity of Christ in clearer language than John uses. He was with God. He was God. He did the works of God, for he was the creator. If any doubt his deity, they must do so in distinct defiance of the language of Holy Scripture. We see here the Son of God and what his role was always meant to be in history. John is going to tell us near the end of his gospel that he wrote this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And do you remember how important that theme of life was in the opening chapters of Genesis? We said it over and over again. God is a God of life. He is the life-giving God. That's a theme that's going to come to the forefront again very clearly here in the Gospel of John because Jesus is the life that is the light of the world. Jesus is everything in God's plan. And so we're going to spend our time, I don't know how long we'll be in John, but the whole time we'll be looking at Jesus and it's going to be wonderful. John Piper said, we are all starved for the glory of God, not self. No one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase self-esteem. Why do we go? Because there is greater healing for the soul in beholding splendor than in beholding self. Indeed, what could be more ludicrous in a vast and glorious universe like this than a human being on the speck called earth standing in front of a mirror trying to find significance in his own self-image? It's a great sadness that this is the gospel of the modern world. We have a much better gospel than that. 
And that's what we want to see. We have to look to Jesus to see it. So let's go ahead. Let's jump right in. John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, we're going to come back in the next week and the following weeks, and we're going to focus in on some of the, these glorious passages in a lot more detail. But John wrote these first 18 verses as a unified piece. This is the prologue to his gospel. So we need to read them as one unified section first to make sure we understand what John is communicating here to us. When we do, we see that John's writing a beautiful parallel here to so much of what we studied in Genesis 1 through 11. And so we're going to break this down into four parts this morning. First, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. It's very simple. Second, He is life and light. Third, He dwells with us. Fourth, He is glorious. So first, Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word. Now, it's no mistake that John starts it by saying, in the beginning. He knows exactly what he's doing here. He's using a phrase that's intentionally taking our minds where? Right back to Genesis 1 and the beginning, the creation of everything. And he's telling us something now that we didn't know fully before. The Word was there, the Logos of God. So next week, we're going to dig in deeper on, on, on what that means exactly and why John calls him the Word. But for this week, let's just simply recognize here that what John is saying is that this word is Jesus, the Son of God, and He is God. And John is telling us something astounding here as he begins his gospel, as he begins his good news of Jesus Christ. His, his is almost certainly the last gospel to be written. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have all written theirs. They've all given, and they've sort of set the stage for the account of who Jesus is. And so now John is coming along, and he's writing his 
account of who Jesus is, and it is no mistake that he starts it the way he does. He wants you to see right from the beginning, this story about this man from Nazareth is not a story about a man from Nazareth. It is the story of God. He was already there at the beginning. That's what this is saying. It's not saying he was created at the beginning. It's not saying he started at the beginning. It's saying he was there. In the beginning was the Word. He was, he was there. Again, in, in his just wonderful book, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ, I would, I would recommend that book so much. John Piper says, Sheer existence is perhaps the greatest mystery of all. Ponder the absoluteness of reality. There had to be something that never came into being. Back, back, back we peer into endless ages, yet there never was nothing. Someone has to be the honor of being there first and always. He never became or developed. He simply was to whom belongs this singular absolute glory. And John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He was already there. He already existed because he had all the attributes of God. And so now what else are we seeing here? We're seeing here, and we'll again dive deeper into this later, but we're seeing here the Trinity, aren't we? We're seeing here the Father and the Son, two peoples of the Godhead. And we ask, how is this possible? And the only answer is it's, it's only possible if this person that John is talking about is divine. He was with God and he was God. The world exists because of his power and his work. All things were created through him. He was the word. When God spoke. So again, what we have to see right at the beginning is John, John is not, he's not talking about just the man from Nazareth. He's not just talking about the baby that was born in, in Bethlehem. He's talking about the divine, eternal, everlasting, glorious Son of God. It's part of why John includes the ministry of John the Baptist right away in, in the prologue here. It, it might feel like it's just a little bit out of, out of touch there that, that he says, this beautiful line about Jesus, and then he goes, and then there was a man sent from God, his name was John. By the way, the, the gospel writer John never mentions his own name in the gospel. Um, he, he doesn't talk about himself at all. That's how we know he, he just calls this guy John instead of John the Baptist because this is going to get confusing, but because John just doesn't call himself John, so he calls John John. You all good? But so he includes this in here about John the Baptist because from a human perspective, the historical account of the ministry of Jesus begins with John the Baptist, right? This is where the beginning of the account comes from. And, and he's read the other Gospels. He knows the beginning of the historical account 
of the story of Jesus and his life and his ministry, it always begins with the the Baptist coming and preaching. And so here's what the, the gospel writer John is doing. He is telling you right from the beginning, the story of Jesus did not begin with John the Baptist. He's setting the record straight in the most obvious way possible. The the ministry, this is what we need to see. The ministry of the Son of God, when did it begin? At the beginning. The ministry of the Son of God did not begin in the time of John the Baptist preaching repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand. The, The ministry of the Son of God, John is telling us, it began at creation. And we read about that just a few months ago, but now we see it with fresh eyes. How did God create the world? It was the Son of God who spoke for the Godhead. It was His power. It was His words. That's one reason He's called the Word. And so this this first point, that Jesus is God, it is such a clear sign to you and I that Jesus was always the plan. Always. The plan was laid down before creation. The Son of God was there at creation. This plan is as much His. That plan that God sent His Son, they called Him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. That plan began at creation. That was plan A. Because he was there when the plan was made. So that's point one. Jesus is God. Our second point today has to do with a major theme of the Genesis account of creation. Life. Life. It's no mistake that that, that John says what he does here over and over again. We said in the Genesis account that God is the God of life. His commands in Genesis 1 through 3, what were they always for? They were always to bring about life, weren't they? They were always to to, to encourage life and to allow life to thrive. You know, we saw that indescribable moment when when God, he, He bowed down and He breathed life into dust. And he called this man Adam. And, and again, you know, we know now because of John's revelation here that what we were seeing is we were seeing the ministry of the Son of God in that moment. Because the Son of God is the life that is the light of men. Again, his ministry has already been going for millennia. He is the life and he is the light. And so, if you remember, when when Adam and Eve were sent out from the garden and a guardian was set so that they could not return to the garden. And you remember, we said that one reason that they could not return, so often our culture looks at that and they they, they look at God as, as just some sort of um, just grumpy judge who's like, just get out of my garden and you know, don't walk on my lawn anymore. Um, but that's, remember we said that's not what God was doing. That, that he was, he, he provided for them. He, he gave them clothing to wear. He, he protected them from coming back into the garden and eating from the tree of life in their fallen state. Because if they had eaten of the tree of life in their fallen state, they would have been cursed and condemned eternally. So you remember, he said that he he protected them. And death, 
It's ruled over everything because of sin. And, and every single person that was born from that day until the day in Bethlehem when Jesus was born a man, every person born in between has been enslaved to death. We can't conquer it. We can't overcome it. Remember in Babel, they wanted to make a name and they wanted to make a monument to their glory as a way to live on past death. As a way to leave a legacy, to overcome death. I think Solomon said it best. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. All are from the dust and to dust all return. That's what the curse did. But God's plan has always been to overthrow death. Because the Son of God is life. It is the light of men. So you could capitalize that. He was life. That's who he was. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, He upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's life. We're talking about something elemental here that goes so far beyond our understanding of power, aren't we? This is who Jesus is. This is who the Son of God is. He is absolute power. He is the one who brings life. And so it's in this context of life that we see Jesus being called the light in the darkness, the light that defeats the darkness because he is going to overcome death. And so, in other words, when John tells us that the true light was coming into the world, what he's saying is he's saying our hope is coming into the world. Our salvation was coming into the world because the world is full of darkness. The people who walked in darkness saw a great light. Overwhelmed by sin, overwhelmed by death, in despair, our hope is life. And Jesus is the one who brings that. Because life, when we talk about it in terms of Jesus, life cannot be defeated by death. And it was coming into the world. When we look at the big picture of the history of the world, we saw right from the beginning, God is the only one who can bring life. God is the only one who out of nothing creates life. God is the only one who gives life. The serpent comes and he tries to pervert and he tries to twist what God has created. We pervert and twist what God's created. We can create beautiful things as well, can't we? But we cannot breathe life into anything. We cannot make something out of absolutely nothing. There's only God who is able to do that. And now what we're seeing here in the Gospel of John is that it was always from the beginning God's intention to bring life through His Son. And those who received Jesus, John tells us here, those who received him were born of God. 
I think that phrase is really intentional. We're going to dig more into that phrase, born of God. But again, in the context of life, it is exactly the right word to use. John knows what he's doing here. The issue is death reigns. The response is God brings life. And you're born. That is, you're brought into life. Born of God. We, we have access now. And that's a thought that we're going to spend a lot of time on here. We have access to this life. You do. Any of us does. We have access to this life through the Son. Being born again. What we're going to see is we're going to see that life is more than we thought it was when we look in the Gospel of John. I think a lot of people, and I think a lot of Christians, I think a lot of good Christians, have a very weak understanding of what life actually is. We're going to be challenged by that. It's not just not being dead. That's not life. It's so much more than that. And it's more because of Jesus, right? You don't find out what more there is to life than not being dead until you come to the life that is the light of men. So we're going to dive into that as we get into the Gospel of John. He was the life and he was the light. Thirdly, this morning I want to talk about the tabernacle. We read the famous verse here, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, this is something we didn't get to in Genesis, but... I'm sure you know it. It's another reference to the Old Testament. God was willing to dwell with His people. He had a tabernacle built as a symbol of His willingness to live in their presence. You know, what was that great covenant promise that's reiterated over and over again? I will be their God and they will be my people. And so He dwells with them. And yet... When you think about that, when you think about the tabernacle and you think about later the temple, there was still a great divide, wasn't there, between God and His chosen people because of their sin? You know, a a divide that was so great that a man would die upon touching God's ark? A divide that was so great that you could die by entering into His dwelling place casually of your own power? There was still a great divide between God and His people. But here, what John says is that Jesus came down to dwell with His people. This word, it brings us back to the idea of tabernacle. He comes to dwell with His people, face-to-face, personal. This life, again, all caps, because this life is what upholds the universe by the very word of His power. You exist, whether or not you worship Jesus, whether or not you repent and you come to Jesus, whether or not you follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you still only exist because of Jesus. That's what the Bible says. There's no getting away from him. This is why every knee will bow. This is why every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because whether or not you are willing to humble yourself and to follow him, You still only exist because of Him. You still only have what life you have right now because of Him. 
that being, John says, he wasn't just willing to give you life. He wasn't just willing to continue your existence on into eternity. Just to let you know, I, I do think that that's where a lot of even Christians, their, their view of life only reaches that far. To exist on into eternity past this existence. But he did so much more. His point was that he came to dwell, to live, to be with us, to be Emmanuel. God is with us. This is what we're going to see in Jesus, the Son of God. He came to dwell with you, not just to save us. And it's such a great tragedy, but it's not surprising that the Son's own people did not receive Him and the world did not know Him. He was their God. And again, he had been operating from the beginning. And we see in the Old Testament that the people of God continually, continually reject God. They continually seek after the idols of the nations. They, they continually go after other gods. Over and over again, they turn away from God and God brings them back because God's plan will not be thwarted. God brings them back. They've never recognized him. And then the great tragedy is when he actually comes, they don't recognize him. They murder him. The world doesn't recognize him. Doesn't seem like the way the plan should go, does it? And yet it is. Because do you remember the promise that God made to Abraham last week that we looked at? We, get, we looked at a list of promises there in Genesis 11 and 12 that God gave to Abraham. And one of them was, In you, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. In you all the nations will be blessed. This is what John is hinting at here when he says that his own people did not receive him. He wrote this gospel at the end of the first century, maybe sometime in the 80s, possibly into the 90s, AD. And the gospel was already spreading like wildfire among the non-Jews of the world, among the Gentiles. And we're seeing God Himself bringing the nations back to Himself. In order for Him to reach out to the nations, at first His own people had to reject Him. And we wouldn't even say that what we're seeing here in the gospel as it goes out and as God is bringing back people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation, we're not even saying that this is a return to the relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. Again, we have to have a deeper understanding of what life is. It's not a return to the garden. It is greater than that relationship. It's deeper than even that relationship. The Son of God, the one who created everything, comes down in human form to dwell with his people. You know, I might enjoy an ant farm in my office. I don't have one, but I might enjoy one if I did. But I'm never going to become an ant and join them. I'm not sure that I would enjoy a fish tank in my office, but maybe I would. 
but I would never become a fish and join them. Imagine the relationship that God, who is not a man like us, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God, how unsearchable are your ways. Imagine that God would be willing to come down and dwell with us. My hope is that for all of us, we, we have our understanding of life challenged by the Gospel of John because of Jesus. And that brings us to the final thing this morning. And it's, it's the thing. Okay, so we've talked about Jesus as God. We've talked about Jesus as life and light. We've talked about Jesus coming to dwell with us. And, and so now, fourthly this morning, the fourth major thing that John gives to us in his prologue to the gospel that we have to see before he begins the story in earnest. The thing from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and He was God. The thing is glory. Glory. John begins his gospel with a breathtaking vision of who Jesus is. He doesn't build up to this. He's not interested in bringing it to a moment where you go, <gasps> No, right from the very beginning, he wants to overwhelm you and me and all of his readers. He wants to overwhelm us with this breathtaking vision of who Jesus is. He starts his description with an atomic bomb. He was the Word. He was with God. He was God. This is who Jesus was. And, and he intends to dwell with his people as a man. But above it all, through it all, in it all, we see God's glory and God's glory alone. He spoke creation into being with a word. Who did it? God did it. Could anybody else do it? No. He planned salvation. The Son came. He brought life abundantly. And John says here, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is getting you ready to read his gospel because in his gospel, you are going to see the glory of the Son of God. You are going to be overwhelmed. You're not going to understand everything that you see from Jesus. You're not going to understand how Jesus could do the things that he does. That you're not going to understand why he would do the things that he does when you stop and think of who he is. You're going to see his glory over and over again, and it's not anybody else's. It's his. We read in verse 18 that Jesus, the only God who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Do you want to see God's glory on display? You know, there's shadows of it around everywhere. You can see hints of His glory in the mountains. I love the mountains. I love sunrises and sunsets in the mountains. Overwhelming. And you can, you can see glimpses of God's glory in that. You can see glimpses of His glory throughout all the creation, can't you? Because His creation is singing the praises of its Creator. Creator. 
But what John is letting you and I know is that's not really where you see his glory unveiled. Those are just glimpses. Those are just hints. Those are just shadows, almost like reflections that you see of his glory. But that's not where you really see his glory. People settle for far too less. Now, according to John, if you want to see God's glory, you look at Jesus. He is the glory of the Father. If you want to see God's glory, think of who Jesus is, truly. Think of when his ministry began. It began at the beginning. Think of his willingness to give himself for a people who had rejected him. Think of his ability to bring life. Jesus says, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down and I pick it back up again. And in all of that, you see the glory of the Father's plan of salvation and redemption. You see the glory of the Father's plan of a people, a family, perfectly united for all eternity. You want to see God's glory. Look at Jesus. He is the radiant display from beginning to end. The radiant display of the glory of God. And this is all about God's glory. Remember, you remember in Babel, just a couple weeks back, they were striving for their own glory. You remember, they they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to build their tower to the top of heaven. And the way that Moses wrote that story, remember I pointed out, it was, just, it was just really well done. Here they are, down here, wanting to build up to the top of heaven. And Moses goes out of his way to tell us that when God came to see what they were doing, God had to come down to see it. Because what he was telling us is God was already in the position of all glory. They were trying to work themselves up to that, but God was already there. It's His. And when the sun came, it was so that God would be glorified above everything, above everyone, by bringing life, by bringing light. If you're going to look at Jesus, as we get into the Gospel of John here, if you're going to look at Jesus and see Him the way He is meant to be seen by John, You are going to have to give Him glory. You're going to have to set aside your own glory. You're going to have to humble yourself. You can't stay proud and look at Jesus truthfully. You can't stay proud when you consider that He had to come because of our sin. So be prepared to give God glory through Jesus. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said here. Let the question be passed round among us. Do I perceive His glory? Have I seen something of the splendor of God in the humble man of Nazareth? Have I learned to magnify Him in my soul? And have I desired to glorify Him in my life as my God, my life, my love, my all in all? though once despised and rejected of men? If so, beloved, if we can say this from our heart, 
We are favored indeed, and especially favored if we remember how many there are who have never obtained this grace. Not many great men after the flesh see any glory in Christ. They find their glory in the clash of arms and in garments rolled in blood, but not in Him who is meek and lowly of heart, who gives rest to weary souls. Not many wise men have seen any glory in Christ. They find glory in philosophy. They can see glory in nature, but not in Him who is nobler than than God's creation. Inasmuch as He is the only perfect one among the sons of men, they say they see something of glory in providence, and yet fail to perceive anything wonderful in grace. So here's our prayer this morning as we close that we see glory in Jesus. That we look at him as John reveals him in his gospel and we see the glory. We see God at work to bring new life. That we realize, some of us may realize this afresh, some of us may need the reminder of this. Some of us may realize this for the first time. That all glory really belongs to God. It's his as a creator as the one who upholds all of us. The glory is His because of Jesus. And you and I can know Him. (laughs) We're not left out. Not by our strength. It's not by the will of, of flesh or the will of man. But it's by God. Let's sit on that this week as we get ready to see Jesus revealed in the Gospels. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for your glory revealed in your creation. Lord, in the face of death, in the face of sin, in the face of rebellion, in the face of a world that is groaning under the weight of sin, and it is groaning. Thank you. Thank you that you have a plan that you have enacted from the beginning. Thank you for not shutting us out, but instead speaking, revealing yourself to us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we see Jesus revealed in the Gospel of John, that our pride would be broken. that our control would be shattered. That we would see that what we need more than anything else is life from the life giver who made a way through his death and then his power over death He showed us that He is the life and the light of men through His resurrection, His beautiful, glorious resurrection. I pray that You would overwhelm us with a picture of who Jesus is this week. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.